Well, we've been working through the book of Genesis. I feel like I've been saying that for quite a while now, and I have since August. We're working through the book of Genesis, and we're getting toward the very end. And the particular person that we've been studying for the past several weeks is Joseph. We've been looking at the life of Joseph. And to catch you up to speed, in case you have a short-term memory like me and you barely remember what we looked at last week, um, or if you haven't been here in a while, I just want to get you up to speed and, and give you a little recap. Joseph is at a space in his life where he's gone through incredible things, many hardships. We've seen that he was sold as a teenager into slavery by his own family. Uh, he went through uh, this time of it, where it looked like things were going to be okay in his life, and then he was falsely accused of something, thrown into prison. He spent time in prison. He thought he was going to get out, and then he didn't. He went through all that experience. And then, with this radical uh, happening, ultimately, we see God orchestrate some things, some pretty incredible things, to move him, we saw in one week, from one day he woke up as a prisoner, and by the end of that day, he was second in command of all of Egypt. Some really radical, God-ordained, God-orchestrated things. And Joseph's role as second in command of Egypt is to help the land deal with this famine that has taken over the land of Egypt and all the surrounding lands. All right, And in that, there was seven years of plenty where Joseph built these silos and, and grain storage facilities to, to bring in all of the grain of these abundant seven years to store that up for this next section of seven years of famine and hardship. And so the, the seven years of plenty have already come and gone, and now they're in the seven years of hardship and famine. And people from all over Egypt are, have run out of food, and people from the lands outside of Egypt have run out of food. And now they all come back to Egypt to where these storehouses are. And Joseph is the one in charge of dispersing all of this food and feeding literally all the nations, the surrounding nations. All right? And what we saw last week was that Joseph walks, comes into work like he usually does one day. But the group of people there to meet him to come buy grain are a group of 10 men from the land of Canaan. Not too far, but still far enough from Egypt to be, um, you know, quite a ways away. And when he walks in and looks at these 10 men, he recognizes, these are my brothers. The same 10 guys that 20 years earlier had sold him into slavery are now standing at his feet wanting to buy grain for their families from him. But, they don't recognize him. He knows very clearly and can name each one of those 10 brothers, but they look up and they just see this Egyptian powerhouse. They don't know who it is that they're talking to. And what happens in this whole interchange that we saw last week is, is ultimately what he does is he keeps his, his identity concealed from them. And in fact, he wants to even push a little farther because he's like, wow, I'm really in a place of power here. Not only do I have the power of the military might behind me of Egypt, but I know something that they don't know. I know who I am, but they don't know who I am. And because of that, I'm going to push a little bit and see what these guys are made of. It's been a long time. Maybe they've changed. What's going on in their lives? And so what he does is he uses this place of power and position and says, I know who you guys are. But he doesn't say, you're my brothers. He says, you're a bunch of spies. Here, we're having a worldwide crisis, and what are you guys doing? You're coming from wherever you're from, and you're coming to try to take advantage of what's going on here in Egypt. You're trying to spy out the land to figure out where our weak spots are because you want to come over here and try to take all the food from us. You want to take some power. And these poor 10 brothers are like, whoa, whoa, hold on. <laughs> That's not really what's going on. We're, we're really all brothers. We're all from, you know, this land back here, and we're all out of food, and we just want to buy some food and go home. That's it. That's all the reason we're here. And he's like, no, 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 you're spies. And just because I know you're spies, I'm throwing you all in prison. And so for three days, he takes these brothers and throws them into custody. And the brothers are freaking out. What's going on? We don't know. And so then Joseph comes back to them after they've sat for a little while. Three days is a long time to be in custody. After they've sat for a little while, he comes back to them. And he says, all right, here's what I'm going to do. You claim that you're all brothers of one man, but you also told me you've got another brother, a younger brother. 
course, Joseph knows this. It's his little brother, Benjamin. And he's like, yeah, so you've got this brother. All right, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to keep one of you, Simeon. I'm going to lock him up and leave him in prison. You guys go home. Take the grain that you've got. Go home. Go back to your father, who's supposedly still alive. And you go get that little brother of yours. And all of you come back with him. Then I'll know that you're actually telling the truth. That's not just some story that you guys concocted about the little brother back home and all this. Because I think you're spies. All right? So that all takes place. They get out of town. They start heading home. Freaked out very rattled like well we've got the grain but we don't have Simeon and this is just bad and as they're going home they come to the first stop to feed their donkeys and they open up their sacks and one of the brothers finds my money that I paid for all this grain has been stashed back in my grain bag this is a problem So they go on home, they tell their father Jacob all about these adventures. They're like, it was crazy. We go and this all happens and it's just bad and everything else. But then as they're dumping out their grain, what they find is all of them have their money in their sacks. And now they realize, uh uh-oh, that wasn't just a little bit of oversight, you know, some little problem mistake here. All of us have our monies back in the bag. So now, if we go back to Egypt, this guy set us up. Because if we go back to Egypt, not only have we been accused of being spies, now we're going to be, he's going to tell us we're all thieves. So we're going to walk back into to Egypt here, and as soon as we, we cross the border, they're going to arrest us and take us as slaves. We can't win. They tell Jacob all this, and Jacob basically says, you're not going back. I just have to view it that Simeon is another of my sons that's lost forever. The rest of you stay here and we're just going to go on like it didn't happen. And so we talked about the guilty consciences that these guys have been carrying. These, these heavy the weight of this guilt that they've had for all these years. Not only of, of selling their brother Joseph, but now abandoning their brother Simeon and how all of these life decisions have all come together. And they try to move on with their lives. Now, where we pick up here today in chapter 43, it's been at least several months, maybe even a year or so, all right? Simeon's in jail in Egypt. The rest of them have been living on this grain that they've gotten, all right? And here's where we are, Genesis chapter 43. Follow along with me in your Bibles. Chapter, one, or chapter 43, verse 1 says, Now the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah, that's one of the sons, said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel, that's Jacob's other name, okay, same guy here, their father. Israel said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? And they replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and about our kindred. Saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to those questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me. And we will arise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise, go again to the man. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother in Benjamin. And as for me, 
If I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Jacob relents because really they had no better options. This this famine has continued. Originally when they came back, they thought, well, maybe if this will just last us to the end of the year, then maybe it'll rain again and we'll be able to grow crops and everything will be okay. But the famine just keeps going. They don't even know that this famine is going to stretch for seven years. They're only a year into it or, or so at this point, and already it's bad. They're already out of food. And what they realize at this point is, we've got no other option. What else can we do? We're running out of food. And as Judah said to his father, which wasn't an exaggeration, he's like, if, if we wait much longer, our whole family might die. So yeah, it's risky to go down there, but you're going to die, I'm going to die, our wives, kids, everybody's going to die. We're all going to starve if we don't try this. We don't have any other options. We don't have anything else that we can do. Now, for those of you especially who have been going all through this journey through Genesis, we've been studying these people that God has chosen, this family of Abraham, all right? And we looked at Abraham, and then we looked at his son Isaac, and then the son of Isaac is Jacob, or Israel, that we see here. And we've seen how through this whole process, God has been uh, um, allowing them to understand who he is more and more. He's revealing more of his nature and character to them. He's, he's taken them through some really difficult places to allow them to grow as people of faith, to understand that God is trustworthy and he's, he's somebody that they can lean on and, and that will even get them out of some really heavy places. So it's interesting to think about what is Jacob's spiritual state at this point? That was one of the questions that I had as I'm reading through this. I mean, we looked through all the life of Jacob and we saw the different things that God took him through. Jacob had had radical encounters with God. God had appeared to Jacob, physically showed up multiple times to Jacob. And he had these encounters in his lifetime, God speaking to him and God appearing to him. And God had delivered him from some pretty treacherous things. So what's going on here? Is Jacob talking to God and wondering what, asking him what to do? Is Jacob waiting for some sort of deliverance, right? Shouldn't Jacob be trying to make this decision based on what God has um, for them? But was God choosing to be silent, to do a greater work in Jacob's faith? We don't know. What it seems like here is that his decision is just logical rather than spiritual. Nowhere in here does Jacob say, well, God told me it's time for us to go, so let's go. Nowhere does it say, well, God tells me we're gonna, he's going to provide for us right here in the land. Don't go anywhere. It doesn't say any of that. He's just like, I don't know. I, I guess this is what we have to do. We've been praying, we've been seeking God, we've been asking Him for direction. I don't know. But it looks like this is what we have to do. Sometimes, that's all we have to go on. I know that you wish, and I wish, that I could tell you this morning, no, 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 you just gotta, you gotta pray this way, and then God will speak to you. You gotta just do this, you know, offer that. Do this, and then God, I guarantee God, no. We have to seek the Lord, and if he's silent, we have to make the best decision that we can and trust. All right? Look at verse 15 with me. It says, so the men took this present, the present that, that uh, Jacob told them, yeah, get all this stuff together and take that. They took this present, and they took double the money with them, and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men, oh, for the men are to dine with me at noon. And the man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, It's because of the money, which was replaced in our sacks the first time that were brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. 
So we have brought it again with us. And we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. And he replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them, their brother who had been in prison. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water and they had washed their feet and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon for they heard that they should eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed to him, uh, bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother, of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. And then he washed his face and came out. And controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. They served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken from them, uh, to them from Joseph's table but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. Talk about an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> all right. Not only for Joseph, who is orchestrating all this, kind of behind the scenes, but also for the brothers, who had been scared for their lives on this long journey from Canaan by donkey back into Egypt. And then... They, they take this journey, they're like, I don't know how this is going to go, this could be really sketchy, we hope he believes us, uh, we could be known as thieves, he's already accused us of being spies, what's going to happen? On top of that, they come to the public building where they're expecting to meet Joseph and try to clear their debt and, and buy more grain and all those things. They get there, and then instead of meeting Joseph there, what happens is they say, no, we've got a different place we want you to come. Uh-oh. In fact, you're going to the home of that ruler that you're here to meet. Now, here's the thing. For us, we're like, oh, wow, cool. You know, he's inviting us over to his, our house, you know, his house. But that's not the way it was in this culture. In fact, many of these high-ranking officials, not only would they have an entire armed guard that would be at their home, many of them had private dungeons built into their mansions, okay? <laughs> this was the kind of thing with slave quarters and all kinds of other things that are happening. And so when these guys here at the public building that they're going to Joseph's house, they're not thinking, oh, this is going to be awesome. They're thinking, okay, this is it. This is the worst that we expected is exactly what's going to happen here. We're done for. Their imaginations start going wild. We're going to get what we had coming uh, to us. The, the feelings of the guilty consciences that we talked about last week, it's hit the high point. It's like, okay, finally, you know, all of the universe is going to pour down on us. And poor Benjamin, he's just along for the ride. Because remember, Benjamin was the youngest brother. He was at home. He was a little kid when these older brothers sold Joseph into slavery. He wasn't with them. He didn't know anything about any of that. He'd been lied to like the rest of the family. In his mind, Joseph died 20 years ago, back when I was a little, little boy. So he doesn't know what's going on. He's just, he's coming around and his brothers are freaking out. And he's like, what guys? What? I don't, how's this all happening? He had no idea. But then, so they're terrified. They get to the house. So then they come up to the steward, like, we got to explain ourselves. Quick, find somebody who looks like they're in charge. <laughs> so they start talking to the steward and try to explain things. And, and what happens? Everything starts to shift. Because he tells them a, a stunning thing in verse 23. When he says, you guys don't have any debts here. That's not, that's not why you're here. I got your money. 
And, and he even says, God must have been the one that put treasure in your sack. Because I got paid everything from the last time. It was no problem. That's not what's happening here. In fact, he tells them, no, actually, uh, you know, Zaphonat Pania, that's Joseph's Egyptian name. Zaphonat, Zaph, you know, he's just having you guys over for lunch. It's going to be great. In fact, yeah, we're working on the food right now. Clean yourselves up. He'll be here in a little while. They're like, hold on. What? Okay, all right. Maybe, maybe something's all right. I, I, I don't know. And then, next thing, here comes Simeon, their brother, walking in. What took you guys so long? I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, it's been a while. And they're like, he's alive. Like, we figured they already killed him. Like, we thought we we're going to be dead. Now we're saying we're going to have lunch over here and we're hanging out in this palace and eat. I, what's happening right now? All right? Everything's happening in wild, wild ways. It, it's all shifting. Now, it tells us there at the end, too, that as the feast begins, after they've washed up and prepared lunch and all that, the feast begins. It says the brothers just start looking around at each other in amazement. They're like, what's going on here? And then something else, a little bit, just a little side note that they drop in there is something strange happens. They're like, what is happening right now? How did we get here? And why is it that Benjamin keeps getting so much food? <laughs> why are they giving him five times? Every this is weird. This is strange. I think the, the, the scripture doesn't tell us anything else about that. I think, personally, Joseph was doing this to kind of see what favoritism might stir up in these brothers. Remember what happened before? Remember the whole coat with the colors and all that? J Jacob playing favorite with Joseph? It, like, I, I want to see how they respond to that. Is, there still, is that still a little raw point in their lives? They see a little favoritism, like, oh, well, why is Benjamin getting so much, you know? No, they, they, we, don't, we don't see that, but I think he's doing it just to, just to take a look at them to see what, if it's there or not. But soon everything's going to come to light, but not before one more twist, all right? Look at chapter 44. It says here in verse 1, it says, Then he commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Sound familiar? It should. And, listen to this, Put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, up, follow after the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination, meaning hearing from God, the gods with this cup? You have done evil in doing this. And when he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. And they said to him, why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then? Could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? These guys are incredulous. They're like, there's no way we would do that. You've been so good to us. We, there's no way. And then they say, in verse 9, whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. And we also will be my Lord's servants. Because they're like, there is no way any of us did this. So sure, you find it on us, kill us. It's all good. Verse 10, and he said, well, let it be as you say. But he who is found with it shall be my servant. The rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. And he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. Okay, so they start the journey home in the morning in unbelief of how well things have turned out. They got their brother. They got their grain. They're coming back with money in their pockets that they didn't even think that they would have. And they experienced a royal feast in a palace in Egypt. I mean, this was a great trip. And they're headed back thinking, wow, we've been worried all this time for nothing. That was amazing. This was a fantastic trip. This is so cool. And then everything comes crashing down. 
everything comes crashing down. And they're caught red-handed. And, and, and there's no way out of this predicament that they're in. And you might wonder, what is this whole tearing their clothes all about? This was a, you see this throughout the Bible. This is what, what the Jews often would do um, as a sign of just of desolation, of grief, of hopelessness, of, of just sorrow. Like, this is really bad. We rip our clothes. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, it, maybe we ought to take, bring it back. I don't know. That's the, way, that's the way they do it, okay? And so they're so upset. They're, so, they're just like, no, this cannot be happening right now. This is Benjamin. Benjamin did this. This is awful. Ah! And they rip their clothes open. Verse 14, look what happens. It says there, when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there, and they fell before him to the ground. And Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? You know, reading the tea leaves in the cup kind of a thing. And Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him, and said, Oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a younger brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. And when we went back to your servant, my father, we told him of the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, surely he's been torn to pieces, and I've never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs and evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then, as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy of my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. And let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Okay. This is the bravest thing that Judah ever did. Now, you may remember, Judah is not the oldest brother, but he had taken the leadership role among them. And there's reasons why I think the other ones were no longer kind of leading as they should have. But besides that, it's Judah here, number four, the fourth son. And he didn't argue with Joseph even about things like divining truth. Joseph brings them in and he set them up again. They don't know it. And he sets them up and he says, don't you guys realize I'm like, I'm like God. I, can, I use this cup to know what the heavens have to say. That's why Egypt is on top of everything, which is true. <laughs> Egypt's on top of everything because they knew this famine was coming. And it's all because I can, you know. And he's, he's, he's playing up this role for them. And he didn't argue with Joseph about that. He knew that he was guilty. Judah and all his brothers knew they were guilty. Not about stealing the cup, but about what they had done to their brother Joseph. They'd been carrying this for all these years, the sin against their brother. And he's finally willing to own up to it and pay the price that he knew he owed. 
Judah makes the decision, look, I took a life. It was a long time ago, but I took a life, and so I owe my life. And he offered himself so that his brother might go free. That's what's happening here. Now, let's pause on the story for a minute because I want you to understand and I want you to realize this. What we learn from Scripture, from the Bible, from the Word of God and what God has taught us about the way things are is that no one, no one gets away with sin. Nobody. The Bible tells us that one day, everything will be put in order. The books will be balanced, so to speak. Every sin will be paid for. The question is, who's on the hook for the bill? All right? Judah knew here what he was offering. He knew that he was offering to spend the rest of his life as a slave in Egypt so that his brother could go free. He would never see his family again. He would never be free again. But he knew that he could not bear the guilt of giving up another brother. And instead, it would kill him. So he decides, it's better that I die as a slave than to let the guilt kill me. I can't handle it anymore. This is what I choose to do. Now, as we learned last week, many people struggle through life carrying the guilt and the shame of their sins. Some people's hearts become so numb and so dark that they can't even feel it any longer. We talked about a conscience, how we all have a conscience. All people have a conscience. But some people's conscience gets so tweaked and so twisted and so dark that they can do some pretty awful things. When you hear about the atrocities, I mean, gosh, I feel like it's almost every week now we hear about some awful uh, thing happen where somebody goes in and just indiscriminately kills people. Uh, Sometimes children, people they don't even know, innocent people, they just walk in and kill people. How do people do this? How do people get to that kind of space of, of darkness? But what the Bible tells us is God will judge all people one day. And those sins, every sin, will be dealt with. And those that carry their sins into judgment will receive righteous punishment for them. And they'll be separated from God for eternity. But that's not God's desire for anyone. But it's going to happen. But it's not his desire for anyone. I'm going to read you a verse, put a verse on the screen here for you. I haven't read to you in a while. Ezekiel 33:11 describes God's heart. It says, "As I live," declares the Lord God, "I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live." This is the, the truth, guys, of the gospel. The truth is, there is a sin problem. And all of us have a sin problem. And also the truth is that God does not desire to go punish people and desire to send people to hell. It's like he gets some kick out of, ha ha, I sent another couple down to the pit. That's not God. That's not God's heart. But God is absolutely righteous and he says, listen, sin is real. Sin will be covered and dealt with and punished. And, and where that sin, who, who's going to take care of the bill of that sin? It's going to be paid for somewhere. And it's either going to be you or it's going to be me. Judah chose to sacrifice his life to redeem his brother. Jesus came and sacrificed his life to redeem all humanity. Next week, um, Keith, our brother Keith Vincent, is going to share a little more about that. So I'm not going to go too far into that today. But Jesus is willing to take the punishment of my sin and your sin and the sins of the world. That's why we love him. We love him because he first loved us. That's why we owe him our lives. Judah had changed. But it wasn't just Judah. I also want you to notice this. It appears that all of the brothers had changed. 
Because some of those self-centered brothers, if they hadn't changed at all, the ones who sold Joseph into slavery, what they could have done when that steward in the army came out to bring, drag them back to Egypt and they found that the cup was in, in uh, Benjamin's bag, what they could have said is he, because the steward himself said, no, I'm just going to take the one, whoever I find the, the, the cup with, I'm taking him with me. The rest of you can go on. They could have done that. The rest of the brothers could have said, well, at least it wasn't my bag. I'm out of here. I got my donkey, got my food for my family. I'm gone. But that's not what we see. Instead, what we see is every one of those brothers say, uh-uh, we can't let this happen. We're going back too. They all return. Joseph, once he brings them all in, insists that he's only going to punish the favorite, Benjamin. But the rest of the brothers choose to stay. The same men that were willing to sell Joseph to slave traders are now choosing to sacrifice their freedom for their brother. And Joseph couldn't hide it from them any longer. Emotionally, he'd hit his limit. And now let's read the last section here. I know we're reading a lot today, guys, but we're, we're getting through it. I didn't want to break this story into pieces for you. I mean, let me leave you there with a cliffhanger. And they all came back to Joseph on the ground. Good night. Have a, have a great week. No, we're not doing that. Here we go. Chapter 45. It says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried, Make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Listen to this. For God sent me before you. To preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these last two years. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. And to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and that all of you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt, and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. What a story. Joseph completely stunned his brothers by revealing who he was. But he shocked them even more with this statement. It's not you who sent me here. It was God. God sent me before you to preserve life. God has made me ruler over all of Egypt. And here's what I want you to understand. It's because Joseph had come to realize God's greater purpose. He'd come to understand God's greater purpose. And I think this knowledge was every bit as supernatural as the knowledge that God had given Joseph way back when, when he radically interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. That came from God. I think this understanding came from God also. Because human rationality and logic would point to Joseph just being bitter and vengeful at these guys. Are you kidding? When those guys came into his courtyard, he had them at his mercy. He had the power behind him to do whatever he wanted. 
He could say, no, I think you're all spies. And in fact, I'm going to execute each one of you in order right here, right now in this yard. And nobody would have said a word. Joseph had that power, that ability. I mean, from an earthly standpoint, this was, this was karma at its finest, right? Uh, this was the whole, well, what goes around comes around. You know, I got you now, guys. You know, the universe has brought you into my mercy, and I've got none. <laughs> That's the attitude that he could have had, but we don't see any of that hurt with Joseph. Now, admittedly, he kind of had his fun with them, or whatever. He played them pretty hard on a few things, but, but we don't see that heart in him. Now, perhaps Joseph was so humble and so close to God that this was easy for him. But if he was anything like me... <laughs> I've got a feeling that Joseph came to these conclusions after hours, days, weeks, months, years of working through it all with his heavenly father. There wasn't the bitterness in his heart. There wasn't the vengeful spirit in him. He hadn't been poisoned by bitterness. Have you ever met bitter people? I've met some bitter people. It's a really sad thing to see. When a human is eaten up by bitterness. We like to think that God's greater purpose is an easy road. It's smooth sailing. We think, well, come on, this is God's plan. It should be easy. It should be like, you know, the golden road to heaven that we just follow. As long as we're following God, everything should go great. I should be healthy, wealthy, and wise for all my days. Guys, there's churches out there today that are probably preaching that, right? Um, but it's not. It's not always that way. It's not always your best life now. It's not. As we study the lives of people who have dedicated themselves to his purpose, we see that many, if not most, of the time, it's a rough path. It's a rugged path. It was for Jesus Look at the life of Jesus. He only made it to 33, guys, before he was executed on a cross. How about the lives of the apostles? Tradition tells us that except for John, every one of the other apostles was martyred for their faith. And John, tradition tells us they threw him in boiling oil and he didn't even die. When you read the book of Acts, you see the beatings and the imprisonments, uh, the persecution and the ridicule aimed at Christians. In modern times, we see the same things. Devoted Christians suffering loss and illness and disease and struggle and setbacks and poverty and pain. So why would people follow a God like this? Because they know he has a greater purpose and progress. That's why. That's why. Christians embrace these things of life because they believe that God has a plan. We've learned that Joseph feared God. We learned that he heard God. And now we see that he trusted God. And because of his trust in who God is, he could see the greater purpose. So the big question for you today Have you seen God's greater purpose in your life? And the truth is, it might not be all that clear right now. Remember all the different phases and and seasons of life that Joseph went through. There were many of these places where I promise you, Joseph wouldn't have stood up with boldness and said, God meant this to happen. God placed me here for you. He does now because he understands it. But do you think he felt that way after the the baker and cupbearer forgot all about him in prison and the months kept dragging by? you think he felt that way when his own brothers tossed him into that pit, beat him up, spit on him? No way. Here's the last section and we'll finish up here. Verse, Verse 16. It says, When the report the report that his brothers had been there, was heard in Pharaoh's house. Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, all right, that's the king of the land, the the one, Joseph's only boss, okay, other than God. Say to your brothers, 
Do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan. And take your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. Just wanted to rub it in, just a little bit more with the brothers, right? And to his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. And he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Now, the journey home for these brothers had to be surreal, and they probably were looking over their shoulders a lot. <laughs> right? Like, I feel like we've done this once before and it didn't turn out so good. But, but, but as they're going back, it had to be just surreal. It was good that Joseph had commanded them not to quarrel on the way home because he knew that all this had to be overwhelming to them. They were confronted with the fact that God had invaded their lives and had been at work in ways that they could barely even comprehend. They had to be overwhelmed with the fact that they didn't deserve it. They were reminiscing about Joseph's dreams as a young man. And they're like, you remember why we hated that kid so much? Because remember those dreams he told us? Where he's got this whole high and mighty dream where we all come and bow down before him? Whoa, what were we just doing? <laughs> it did happen. It wasn't just made up in his little boyhood imagination. This was God all along. How did we do this? And they grieved over the years of guilt and shame over what they'd done to him. And on top of that, they're wondering, how, how do we tell this to dad? How do we tell this to the rest of the family? How are we going to... Oh, wow. But at the same time, they were overwhelmed with all of the good of this. The incredible, undeserved blessings that were being poured out on them. This is what we call grace. This is what grace is. They started this journey because they knew that they and their families would starve if they couldn't find food. And now they return home with the promises that everything that they need and so much more will be provided for them, lavished upon them even. I mean, this is a, a major turnaround. But that's how God works. This is how God works. He shows us our sins and our need for a Savior. But He doesn't just leave us there. Instead, He pours grace upon us. And invites us to make our home with him. That's his desire for you. His greater purpose for coming to earth is that you and I would be saved. But his greater purpose is even greater than that. Because he desires that the world would be saved. He gathers together his people as a church and teaches us to take the good news to the rest of the world. We're not just here to be here. We're not just here to just be, you know, Christians that just enjoy the grace and the goodness of God. And we'll just all get together and we'll huddle together, the holy huddle, and we'll hang out together and just rejoice till Jesus comes back. I mean, that sounds good. 
And, and the lazy part of me is like, yeah, let's just do that. <laughs> let's just buy an island somewhere. Of course, you know I would want an island. Let's buy an island. Let's all move over there, start our own little commune, and just call it a day. That's not what he does. That's not what he calls us to be. This isn't our permanent rest. There are others that God wants to invite to eternal life. And he chooses to use us to do it. That's your purpose. That's my purpose. That's our purpose as a church. That the lost would hear this good news. And that the lost would come to him and be saved. Their lives would be transformed as our lives are being transformed because of him. That is his greater purpose. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this powerful story that you've given us as we've studied the life of Joseph. There are so many lessons in this piece of history that you have for us. And Lord, just as I prayed at the beginning of this message that you would give us ears to hear, Lord, again, I pray now that you would allow us to hear what you want to speak to us today. When we come before you to worship, as we're doing here right now, we come to change, because to worship is to change. When we come into your presence, when we hear your voice, when we sense your leading, we will change. We cannot help it. And so, Lord, today I pray for change to come upon each one of us. For some of us, that might be a really radical change. We may be doing things completely different tomorrow than we're doing today. For others of us, it might just be a fine-tuning. But whatever it is, God, I pray that you would just do what you want to do in our hearts and in our lives today. Do not leave us the same, Lord. We recognize that the journey with you may be rough, that there may be difficulty ahead, struggle ahead. But Lord, give us hearts that trust you in it all. Allow us to know your faithfulness. Allow us to know your grace and your mercy and your love. Fill us to a place of overflow no matter what we're going through and no matter what might lie in the path between now and eternity. And God, I pray for our church that we would be a church that goes out of the walls of this building, that brings the light and life of Jesus to others. This neighborhood right around us, this community right around us is loaded with people that are buried by guilty consciences, that are, are, are lost and hopeless. Their, their clothes are torn and they don't know what to do. And Lord, you've given us the message of hope and salvation. And Lord, I pray that you give us opportunities to share that message with others. Bring people into our paths, into our lives that we can share uh, you with. And Lord, may you draw those people to salvation and draw them to you. No matter where you take them, Lord, we're not trying to just make a bigger church. We're not trying to just gather more people, pack them into the room. That's good. That's, we, we do want that to happen. But what we really want, Lord, is the greater purpose to be met which is that people would be saved, that you would be glorified, and that all would come to know you. So use us, lead us, and direct us, we pray. In Jesus' name.